When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, and it is Monday. Happy you're here to join us. The NFL season has kicked off in full. Effect. Uh, Jim, we'll get into that uh, at, at some point today. Greg Couch is going to join us, and we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers, who had a terrible uh, debut to his 2021 season. Uh, we'll hear from uh, our friend out in Los Angeles, Steve Kim, as well. We'll talk a little college football, a little uh, highly questionable, got canceled by ESPN. Michael Irvin was back on first take this morning. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, but I want to begin today's show, I can't say, I, I want to begin it appropriately. I, I, I want to talk about 9-11. It was just two days ago. We just went through a weekend of sports, the NFL, Major League Baseball celebrating remembrances of 9-11. Uh, last night I watched a 60 minutes hour long special uh, celebrating first responders from 9-11. This is the 20 year anniversary of, of 9-11. My friend and who I introduced you guys to uh, last week on the show, Dennis Evans, is going to uh, join us to, here in a bit to talk a little bit about that. Uh, because Dennis, I believe, in 2001, when 9-11 happened, was like me in Kansas City. And Jim, I don't know if you remember this, but I was doing Jason Whitlock's Neighborhood for Sports Radio 1510 or Sports Radio 810. At the time, the planes flew into the World Trade Center towers. And for a lot of people in Kansas City, I was the person that informed them that you know we had suffered a, a terrible terrorist attack. Uh, but I, I kind of want to put the whole 9-11 thing in perspective for me. And so we'll begin by starting a fire. Oh, that's probably not the best choice of words. Uh, Why not? Considering, uh, Let's I, go. You're, Let's you're, go, man. You're right. Ain't no reason to be scared. I'm going to do what I do. Uh, but a high school outside of Seattle canceled plans for students to dress in red, white, and blue to a Friday night football game because administrators feared the colors would be perceived as racially insensitive. Jim, are you listening to me? I heard you the first time. I heard you when you drove up. Yeah. A uh, high school, they can, red, white, and blue, they're worried about it being perceived as racially insensitive. Predominantly white, Eastlake High played predominantly black, Rainier Beach on Friday, one day before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Students at Eastlake plan to decorate themselves in patriotic colors to honor first responders and the Americans killed on that day. According to emails obtained by a local radio host, the principal at Eastlake told concerned parents the school nixed the plans because the colors could, quote, 
unintentionally cause offense to some who see it differently. Eastlake is 62% white, 22% Asian, 8% Hispanic, and 1% black. That's the demographics of that high school. Rainier Beach is 60% black, 24% Asian, 9% Hispanic, and 5% white. Patriotism is polarizing. It's defined now as an expression of white supremacy. It's defined now as support for Trump. How did we get here? And how did we get here so fast? 20 years ago, we allegedly rallied around the flag. We put our political, religious, and racial differences aside and united against a common enemy, the threat of terrorism, or did we? Is the unity sparked by 9-11 just another example of fake news, of narrative subjugating fact? Okay. I'm beginning to believe so. September 11, 2001 did more to tear us apart than bring us together. September 11th will be scrawled across the tombstone of the United States of America. It's analogous to November 22nd, 1963, the day President Kennedy was assassinated in broad daylight on a Dallas street. Despite the best efforts of corporate media, sports leagues, and big tech to memorialize and commercialize 9-11 as a day of unity, its true impact on America is divisive. Remembrance of 9-11 is rooted in cynicism, skepticism, and distrust. It spawned conspiracy theories on the political right and left. From loose change, to Alex Jones's shouts of inside job, to Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11, Americans were fed a justifiable smorgasbord of pessimism and bitterness. Just like the Lee Harvey Oswald lone assassin narrative, few Americans believe we've been told the full truth about what happened on September 11th. The pervasive cynicism that engulfed America eventually led to the hyper-political partisanship we have today. We quit believing in America. That's the real lesson of 9-11. It's an unlearned and or ignored lesson from that tragic day. Why do I say we quit believing? Because it's the only explanation for how easily we surrendered long-established privacy freedoms to protect ourselves from diabolical and dangerous men hiding in caves in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Only non-believers abandoned their beliefs as quickly as we did. The administrators running Eastlake High School outside of Seattle don't believe in America. That's why they think red, white, and blue in combination is potentially offensive and would rather cancel a harmless symbol of patriotism than risk offending a rival school immersed in critical racism theory. The administrators are no different from the men running the National Football League. The NFL kicked off its new season with the playing of the so-called Black National Anthem, lift every voice and sing. The NFL no longer believes in the United States of America. It symbolically supports the separate states of America. Trust is built on truth. It's not built on individual acts of American heroism. 
The CBS Magazine show, 60 Minutes, aired a one-hour tribute to the 343 New York firefighters who sacrificed their lives in service to the men and women trapped inside the World Trade Center towers. The tribute was powerful and emotionally evocative. It was not remotely restorative. America cannot recapture its unity without reclaiming its regard for truth. During the 60 Minutes broadcast, the surviving New York firefighters acknowledged their shock that the towers collapsed. It was an unprecedented event that no one anticipated. Host Scott Pelley offered a brief explanation why the three towers melted and caved in. My point is, remembrances of 9-11 re-raise questions more than they re-raise patriotism. The first responders in New York may one day may be, be remembered as the last American patriots, the last Americans en masse to enthusiastically and heroically answer President Kennedy's challenge to ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Only the truth can save America. Unfortunately, we lack the capacity to recognize truth and the courage to accept it. Jim, hmm. that's my fire, and that's, you know, I, I, I wrote this in a column and pushed it out over social media, and I got some instant pushback of, <clears throat> no, only crackpots don't believe we've been, we haven't been told the full truth. And, you know, most Americans believe we've been told the full truth about 9-11. Jim, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what most Americans believe. I think 9-11 intensified our cynicism about this country. It, it piggybacked off of, literally, what happened to John Kennedy 60 years ago, nearly 60 years ago, when he was assassinated on November 22nd, and we had the Warren Commission, and we had all these reports. Lee Harvey Oswald did it, all by himself. I don't think most people believe that, and I don't believe most people believe We've been given the full truth. Again, I'm not, we've been given, I think, some partial truths, but I think most Americans don't believe we've been given the full truth. We've become hyper-partisan and cynical. I, I, I really honestly believe that those two planes crashing into the World Trade Center has done potentially irreparable damage to the American psyche. And uh, we've celebrate the, the brave people that did unbelievably courageous things, but I don't think we've done anything to repair uh, the psych and the belief that we used to have here in America. And so I just see cynicism everywhere. I see it in uh, critical race theory and people trying to portray America as irreparably racist. I, 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 I see it in our cynicism about the elections. And look, I, I think some of the cynicism, I'm just sorry, I think it's warranted and justified. I, I, I think it's necessary. I think that, you know, if I were to put a bow around all of my feelings, it would just be our leaders, our political leaders have failed us. They have sat there like Jack Nicholson in 
What's the military? You can't handle the truth. Few good men. Few good men. They sit here like in a few good men, and they've told America and told American citizens, we can't handle the truth. We're not giving you the truth. Shut up. We've got this. And I think a lot of Americans ha have re have rejected that. You know, if I could ask America a question, yeah. I would ask America, did you order the code red? <laughs> did you order the code red? <laughs> now, I mean, since you want to analogize that movie, that's what I want to know. Um, honestly, I told you yesterday, I, told, I just told you right, right before the show started, I'm so glad that you're doing this. For me, just for me personally, just because for me with 9-11, I didn't know that you were on the air, and the reason I didn't know you were on the air is because at that time, I had just started working at the jail. I had been working at the sheriff's department for about three months. So instead of this just being an event that just happened, suddenly this became a different event for me because suddenly I was one of those first responders. And man, when I hear about how some of those guys lost their lives, and in any, I told you, when I look, you can't find a 9-11 documentary that talks about how so many of those guys ran in those towers and couldn't even hear how they lost communication with their radios. You know, just simple things that cost people their lives. Uh, you don't hear about those, none of these documentaries that you see now, none of them talk about the first responders that were inside the towers and heard explosions prior to the planes coming down. Nobody talks about uh, that. Prior to the building, powers, powers coming, down. coming down. You know, and, and, and even to what you just said, Jason, the buildings did not melt. You know, I don't, so many times we as Americans need somebody to tell us something. I don't need anybody to tell me what I saw. Okay, I know what I saw. I know what I witnessed, okay? I know the difference between chicken salad and chicken shit, even though they both come from a chicken. Okay? So I don't need you. Why in the hell did that building fall down over there? Six hours after everything's done? Why did it fall down just like the other two? I don't need that, man. I, I, I know what I saw at the Pentagon. I saw not one piece of an airplane. Not one. I ain't saw a wheel. I ain't saw an engine. I know what I saw at that, where they said that that plane went down. I ain't saw no luggage. I ain't saw no seats. The, 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 the coroner said it wasn't even no bodies. I'm gonna start, I'm gonna call you Loose Jim. That's what I'm gonna call you. Hey man, I'm just being honest with you, man. And, and Jim, the reason I'm not gonna cut you off or stop you are because what, what we have going on in the media is everyone, oh my, you can't reflect the sentiments that Jim is expressing. That's illegal, that's out of bounds, you're just a conspiracy crackpot. And, and what, we're, what we're doing in America, because again, I don't know the truth, I just know that I feel like I haven't been told the full truth but we're not treating the disease of cynicism in America. We just want it to go away. And we think, oh, no one has to answer these questions that Jim is bringing up, whether they're right or wrong. But, but at no point has 
Our government officials in a sophisticated, mature, pervade, I'll give you, I'm gonna give you the great analogy, Jim. Our government is determined to convince us to take the vaccine. And they are bending over backwards. They're putting out commercials. They got everybody and their mama out on this same message. Take the vaccine, the vaccine's safe. Take the vaccine, take the vaccine. But every, that is the kind of effort they should have gone into to try to explain the events of 9-11. It should have, the message should have been so uniform, so pervasive, so overwhelming, so public and transparent and so open to be questioned, that's how you handle things when it's the truth and when it's not a a truth that you're trying to manufacture or manipulate and unpack in a way that serves you politically. And so as long, and this is why I keep saying like, these people, and I'm talking about our politicians, they don't believe in America because if they did, they would unpack the truth in a transparent, no matter where the truth led, no matter who happened to be the bad guys, the good guys, whatever, they would do it boldly, they would do it fearlessly, they would do it to restore this country. And that's, I think, by allowing Jim to have his doubts, allowing me to have my doubts, and allowing, I think, virtually everybody who doesn't profess just like a blind faith and just doesn't want, well, I believe everything I was told or I believe there's nothing to see here because that's what I was told and that's the only way to protect the country. The, the truth, Alex Jones would have never gotten as popular it, is, as he did if they had gone out and aggressively and transparently answered all these questions and not left it for people to speculate. Again, a lot of times, it's the way you handle the truth or unpack it or don't unpack it is what leads to the kind of cynicism that we have here in America. And it, 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 I'm just telling you, this whole 9-11 weekend that we just had, from the TV commercials to the sporting events to everything, and again, I think the media thinks they're trying to appeal to our sensibilities of patriotism. And, and it does that for the briefest moments. But overall, I'm just, all it does is reweighs questions. And it's like, I thought what 60 Minutes put on last night was powerful. It made me sad. It made me respectful of those firefighters. But it also, when it was done, I, I just started thinking like, so what happened here? I, I'm listening to the firemen say, Totally shocked these buildings came down. And, and, and I'm looking at how even, because I read about this story on, on Sunday afternoon about what was going on in, in, at this high school outside of Seattle. And, and I'm like, the whole patriotism is polarizing. And who polarized it? And it's all connected to 9-11, in my opinion. Let's roll out to Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, bring in friend of the show, Dennis Evans, longtime sportscaster, uh, someone that I have debated and discussed life with for damn near as long as I've done it with you, Jim, or hell, maybe longer. Maybe longer. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dennis, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, what's your reaction to you know my monologue or I- any parts? Any parts of it? 
first, I wish I had a church fan. I seriously, as you all were talking, I was just sitting there rocking back and forth and wish I had the, the funeral home fan with me because I felt like I was at church. Oh, you were speaking the truth. I mean, that's the truth. And you stole my line, but I was thinking of Jack Nicholson, too. It's just the fact that they think we can't handle the truth, but people want to know the truth. I think gone are the days that you can just tell people anything or you can say, you know, almost what you could say to a kid back in the day, which was, you know, just go over in the corner, sit down and be quiet. You don't need to know what's going on. This whole, your whole monologue to me was like serving up a Thanksgiving Day plate. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. First, I was thinking to myself, patriot. For some reason, that word patriot has gone from being a positive thing in America to being something that is racist. So I, I looked up, I was looking up, you know, what exactly is a patriot? And a patriot being somebody who vigorously supports, you know, the country that they live in and is willing to defend it against enemies. And it tied in the fact that not only are those first responders, you know, true patriots, to me, the last true patriots were the people who, after hearing about 9-11, after seeing the buildings collapse, after being told that we were a country that was under attack, you know, that there were bad men who wanted to get into America and wanted to do more damage to us, thousands, I mean, thousands of young men, women, black men, black women, white, Hispanic, anything, you name it, all went off and they signed up for the military to go off and defend this country. Thousands of them lost their lives overseas, not really sure what they were fighting for, but what they believed was that we were under attack and they wanted to defend our country. And to me, those people are the patriots. So to have 9-11 and all of the aftermath and the things that came you know, with that and the soldiers who went over there and lost their lives fighting for this country, they are the patriots. So to be able to say that you know, a color, three colors, red, white, and blue, our flag is offensive to someone, that, that's just not acceptable to me. And, and it raised even more questions to me. Did this school call over to the other school and, and, and say, you know, are you offended? You know, not that they should have, not that they were owed that, but, you know, it just made me think, did somebody really sit in an office and say, I don't want to touch that? And if we reach the point in this country where, you know, just the thought of our American flag colors are going to offend people. That's a serious problem. I, I, I want to ask you and Jim, uh, and, and, and I don't want to, I was in a conversation a couple, two or three years ago with a prominent member of the media, black prominent member of the sports media. I don't want to put his name in because I don't want to drag him into it, but he was telling the story of being out with some other people in the media, black, and, and somebody, they saw somebody with an American flag either outside their house, outside their apartment, blah, 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 and the person went to, ah, oh, that's probably a Trump supporter. And this member of the media was like, damn, man, can, so, we're now against the American flag, and if we see the flag, we're supposed to be offended. And, and, and that's, I, I'm trying, have, have we as black people, 
and again, I'm talking about this high school in Seattle, Rainier Beach or whatever, have we been positioned in a way that we see patriotism, red, white, and blue, and the American flag as anti-us? In Jesus Christ. <laughs> we'll leave... We'll leave Jesus I'm out. Just saying, is you going right there? Jim, there there's some truth to that, but let's chop it down to a size go. we can handle for right now. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm uncomfortable with this, and we need some pushback, and, and we need people. Do you know how many black people died to be considered full blown Americans? And now. We're running around acting like we want to be ashamed of it, and, 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 and people are out making decisions like, oh my God, you put the American flag in front of white people, I mean, in front of black people, you could offend them. Who is, is this, should I blame the rival high school? Should I blame us? Should I blame the puppet masters that have, have made, have positioned us this way? Or, or is it just, a, are we, is, or should I just look at us and go, we're this stupid? That because Jim, you weren't here on Friday, and Dennis, I don't know if you watched the show, but we have Vodi Bakum on. He lives in Africa. He's one of the greatest ministers working today, and he made the point. Uh, he gave a, a, a global perspective, like Black Americans are the freest and most successful and safest Black people on the planet, but we're running around acting like America is against us. Who's 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 it who's who's it bla who's to be blamed here? I think I, I'll hop in. Sure. I, I think it's a little bit of everything. <laughs> I, I've been there. I think it's a little bit of everything. I think recently one of the the biggest causes is now. To, keep in mind, every political candidate at some point along the line has used red, white, and blue to you know to associate with their campaign. But for some reason, when Donald Trump used red, white, and blue, and because of the view of him, because of you know the 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 fact that a lot of people felt excluded by him and some of his words, it made people disassociate themselves with that. I'm going to tell you how far it goes. I have a, one of my favorite T-shirts. It's comfortable, fits right. You know, you got that T-shirt that just you, you want to wear it way too much. I have a, a USA Basketball T-shirt that I wear all the time. And I was out one day and I had on a jacket and I was in a store and I unzipped my jacket and there was a, a, there was a white female in front of me. And she turned around and said, I like that jacket, I'm not crazy about the shirt. And I just looked at her and I thought to myself, you are saying this because I have on a t-shirt that says USA basketball and that offends you. How we got to this place, I don't know, but we need to figure out how to get out of it because this is our country. My father, all of his brothers, I can remember reading a newspaper article in his hometown paper in Farmington, Missouri, where it said, you know, five Negro brothers joined the service to fight in World War II. And I remember how proud his family was of that, you know, later on down the line. My father was a proud American. And is this country perfect? Absolutely not. But if people think that, you know, really that we have it that bad, yes, there are a million things in this country that we need to fix, but that's America. 
That's on both sides, whether you're black, white, whoever. There are things in this country that we want to see fixed. But if you love America and you are an American, then you want to stay and you want to fight for that. And you want to see this country improve. You want to see it get better for everyone. You don't want to disassociate yourself with that. So I don't understand that mindset. You know, you, you, you sit here and you, you talk about um, America and what it means to be an American. Let me just say this, man. I served four years in the United States Marine Corps, and I served 17 years in my community at the Wyandotte County Sheriff's Department. I love my country. I love my community. How do you think I felt hearing the National Negro Anthem before the football game? I mean, as a soldier, I was willing to give up my life for that flag in that country. So when I hear the Nas, when I hear the Star Spangled Banner, I don't care what you say. It means something to me. But now all of a sudden, you taking the National Negro Anthem, and that's what it's called, the National Negro Anthem. I don't care what this, what y'all call it, the National Colored People Anthem, the Black National Anthem. Yeah, whatever. It's called the the National Negro Anthem. I, uh, hold, I'm just gonna stop you. I don't have a problem with the word Negro, but go ahead. I, I, I'm just simply yep. saying that that that's from our church. Yep. Okay. Now, to me, you you you're doing the same thing with that that you're doing with 9/11. You commercializing it. And I need somebody else to sing that song other than Keisha Coles and John Legend. <laughs> And Jim, this I, I, I keep going back to talking about Bill Maher, but Bill Maher, to his credit, uh, on his show this Friday, ripped the NFL and people for this resegregation we're doing, and and and, and literally we're positioning, and I'm looking at the influencers, tastemakers the idols, football idols of America are, are basically messaging. And the NFL is the most powerful force in popular culture. It's the number one TV show on five different networks. That makes it the most powerful thing in pop culture. And they are taking the NFL and basically messaging to black people that you're different, there's a whole different national anthem for you, and this country doesn't love you unless it sets aside a different national anthem for you. And, and I'm just looking and remembering my history and just how many people, going all the way back to the Civil War, going back to the Revolutionary War, Crispus Attucks was the first person to die during the Revolutionary War. Black, we had a long history three, four hundred years of fighting for the opportunity to be Americans. That was what the whole fight was and to experience American freedom. And now here we are on a dime, just seemingly out of nowhere. The fight is for us to be defined as outside of America and that America must be blown up and remade in a way that's, that satisfies Ibram X. Kendi or I, I don't know who, the Ta-Nehisi Coates, I, I, I don't know who, Kamala Harris, I don't know who, but it's gotta be, the, the, Hannah Nicole Jones from the New York Times, America's gotta be redefined to their taste in order for us to say, this is our country again. I just, are these people really that smart and I'm that stupid 
and all the people before me, from MLK to Frederick Douglass to, to Harriet Tubman, to, they're all just dumb idiots. Booker T. Washington, and these people today are geniuses, and red, white, and blue offends us, patriotism offends us, Donald Trump is 10 times worse than Jefferson Davis mm -hmm. and I anybody else. It, it, Dennis, have, uh, you got, I'm gonna let you have a final thought then I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna keep it moving. Gotcha, man. One, one last thing on this. Have you ever been somewhere, I mean, let's keep it real. Have you ever been somewhere and heard the, what's called the Black National Anthem, Negro National Anthem? Have you ever heard it being sung and looked around and found nobody knew the words. This is a gesture. This is not, this was just something that was thrown by the NFL as a bone. Don't give me bones. Give me meat. That's what they're doing. If you want to make a difference, do some things. You know, Martin Luther King and those people, they fought for rights. They didn't fight for gestures. They didn't want overtures. They didn't want little small things just to assuage them and make them feel better. They wanted things that made a difference in this world. And this from the NFL is just a, a kind gesture, a pat on the head, a pat on the back. But if you look around and you went through NFL locker rooms, I challenge you to find five. You couldn't find one guy who knew all the words to the anthem because it's not really an anthem. It's not something that we're teaching our children. It's not something that ha it's, it's what, what Jimmy said. It's what you play in church on Sunday when there's a program or something like that. It's not necessary to be played at a National Football League game. Thank you, Dennis. That, he just made one of my main points. It's like, don't nobody know the lyrics to this? Stony the road retrod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when unhope born had died. We have come over the ways, through the hills, through the land of the slaughter. We have come. Say what? <laughs> What'd you say? Are you in the NFL locker room? I'm just telling you, bro. <laughs> Are you? I'm just NFL? telling you, some of us know the words to that song. Are that you? song means something to some of us. Are you in the NFL locker room? How many guys in the NFL do you think can sing that? First of all, they don't even know where it, what that was. If it didn't come, I mean, come on, man, it didn't come from Kanye, so how they know? <laughs> or Jay-Z. There you go. Jay -Z all right, let me uh, tell you about my good friends uh, from Good Ranchers. From their prime seafood and ranchers classic to their family feast bundle, our friends over at Good Ranchers are the perfect answer for you. With food that is coming from 100% American farm-raised chicken and grass-fed cattle, you will not find a better tasting option anywhere. What you usually get from your local grocery store cannot compete with the quality you will get from Good Ranchers. This is truly some of the best steak and chicken I've had, and I've eaten a lot <laughs> at a lot of good restaurants and steakhouses in my life. What I have from Good Ranchers tops them all, but stop listening to me and go order now so you can experience this as well. If you subscribe, You'll get $20 off and free express shipping. Get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. I want to add this little personal note. Uh, Susie May and uh, uh, her sister-in-law okay. came to town over the weekend. First thing Susie May said to me was, damn, 
He looked good. Sunday, she didn't say, damn, where's Jimmy? No, she did not. Okay, she, she did not. Then, then Sunday, when I go over to the doghouse to watch uh, football, I like to watch football upstairs with Steve Ford and some of, some of these country music singers here in Nashville. I hadn't seen Steve Ford in probably five, five, four or five months. And he's like, damn, dude, you're losing weight. And I had to tell him about Good Ranchers. I, I really, and just eating better, eating healthier, eating lean meat, American grass-grade meat has made a difference for me. That's right, go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. That's GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. All right, welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Uh, I hope your ears are good after Jimmy's rendition of uh, Lift Every Voice, although that was actually uh, one of your best singing renditions. I don't know if you saw this, Jim. You know, Saturday Night Live stole your Poison bit. I heard. They, they I did heard. a version of Poison in the vaccine. I heard. Uh, uh, it wasn't bad, but they took the other side of the issue. They were pro-vaccine with their Bell Bib DeVoe Poison impression, but... Uh, Hats off to you. They stole your material. Hey, you know what? Uh, we just gonna keep doing what we doing, and uh, we'll see them in the. Oh, this is Jim trying to pretend to be modest. <laughs> we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing. Uh. <laughs> All right, let's roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in uh, my Asian brother from another mother, uh, Steve Kim. Steve Dim. St Steve Kim. He's not dim. I think. <laughs> see, Jimmy thinks you're stupid, Steve. I think you're smart. No. No, no, I think it's really a play on Steve Dim's son. See, I, I think he's actually talking about the food. Oh. Steve Dim's oh, son. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, how about yeah, all that? All I know is General So. Right, that's, that's, <laughs> hey, I got that. that. Look, all I know is cream some young man. I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, by the way, Jimmy, Jimmy, you left out this verse of the uh, Black National Anthem. Uh, <clears throat> hold on. Uh, let me try this. Uh, with our steady feet. We have our weary feet. <clears throat> Outside of that, I'm just going to quit that. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Hey, man. Hey, Steve. What? Stick with what? gangland style and leave that alone, oh. all right? Oh, my God. Stick with something you know. Oh, my gangland God. Gangland no. style. No. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow. You know what? Now I feel like I just got brushed up by Sandman Sims at the Apollo Theater. So that's what it's like. <laughs> Damn. Wow. All right. Wow. On a, on a more serious note, Steve, uh, we were just having a discussion about 9-11 and how I think the remembrances now to me, rather than re-raising patriotism, they just re-raise questions and people's skepticism about have we been told the full truth. Anyway, you, you heard our discussion about 9-11. I just, did you have any thoughts uh, as a patriot? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that now expressing your patriotism, your love for this great country, and even displaying the American flag has become a very, very divisive issue. Now, personally, I've made the decision that I'm not going to back off. You don't have to love this country. You don't. I'm not one of these people that says love it or leave it. I don't know how realistic that is, but America is so great. It's the only country that I know of that is expected to be perfect at all times, and it's like the DMV. If you ever see a line going into the DMV and the people walking out, that's America. 
The line to get in is very long for a reason. It is still the greatest country on earth, despite its flaws and imperfections. I'm proud to be here. I'm lucky to be here. And what 9-11 did for me in 2001, it really reaffirmed and actually awoken my love for this country because five years prior, hmm. uh, I became a naturalized citizen because I don't, not a lot of people know this. And a lot of my Mexican fan, uh, friends used to think I was making fun of them or was joking, but from the time I entered this country till the summer of 1996, I actually had a green card. And then a decision had to be made whether I was going to stay here. And that was a very easy decision. And that's when I went through the citizenship process. And it's a day that, quite frankly, I took for granted. It's one of my regrets that I didn't realize how momentous of an occasion it really was. Hmm. Mm. All right. Well, good stuff. Let's talk a little uh, ESPN, because that's what we like to do with Steve. I think he's WWESPN. WWESPN. Steve is one of the foremost authorities, the former ESPN writer, uh, but he has very incisive, uh, clever thoughts about what's going on at ESPN. I'm going to start here with an easy one. I know you watched this morning Michael Irvin and uh, Stephen A. Smith went round uh, two on first take, uh, and the yucks and the giggles were uh, at a high level. Uh, ESPN is certainly playing the laugh track, but I also think that it was once again pretty compelling between Stephen A. and Michael. Jason, I got to get an ice pack for my ribs because I was laughing so hard. And this this yeah. hit me, and I've been really thinking about this, is that there are other good panelists that join Stephen A. Smith, Marcus Spears, Bart Scott, uh, there's Tim Tebow, Dan Orlovsky, and some other people. But, and Andrew I think Perkins. you can appreciate this. Uh, um, okay, Kendrick Perkins, I guess we need a five. But anyway, um, Jason, you can appreciate <laughs> this as a guy that is on press row. There are certain media members that when you sit next to them, you're like, oh, good, I get to watch this game with them, and you hang out on press row, and it's fine. Then there's the next level where there's other guys where after the game, you're like, hey, what are you doing? Want to get something to eat? And you spend time with them then. And then the ultimate level is a guy that you like so much and you get along with so well that you actually spend time away from the beat, and you say, hey, come watch a game with me at my house, or let's go somewhere and just hang out and enjoy each other's company and have fun. The other guys like Bart Scott and Marcus Spears were very good, respected NFL players. Stephen A. respects their knowledge, but I don't think he has quite the respect or the admiration that he does with Michael Irvin. You could tell that there's a chemistry. I talked about this last week. You cannot make chemistry. It has to be natural. And it's clear that when you come on first take, it's not just about knowledge because knowledge, I'm not saying it's overrated, but a lot of people have knowledge. You have to bring the energy and the enthusiasm and the bombast. And a lot of guys can stick with Stephen A for about a segment or two. Michael Irvin sticks with them punch for punch. It's 15 rounds. It's not for everybody. Uh, but their energy levels are nuclear to the point. It's almost like Chernobyl against uh, Fukushima. And it works. It works at least for me. It's not for everybody, Jason, but I love the combination. Stephen, I said this last week, and, and I'll say it again. If you've ever met Michael Irvin, it's impossible not to like you. It, it's right. just, he's got one of those personalities. Now, look, Stephen A is not that way in terms of Stephen A is an acquired taste. He's so full of himself, even off camera. It's all authentic. What you see on camera is who Stephen A is. And I'm not saying this to say that I, I dislike Stephen A. I'm saying it to say it's really hard to get a word in edgewise with Stephen A in any setting at any time. He, he's so in love with the sound of his own voice and thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. 
Michael Irvin is just an engaging person who like emotes positive energy and and just affinity and affection for people. And and so I'm not surprised that they have an amazing chemistry. I'm not surprised, you know, Stephen A has reverence for him that shows shows up on camera and that that is working. Uh, The other thing I wanted to ask you interesting about ESPN, uh, highly questionable canceled to make room uh, for Max Kellerman's new show. Yeah, uh, Q Alanis Morissette, because isn't this ironic? You talk about diversity, and that rainbow coalition gets replaced by a white guy. Um, you know, th- th- it's interesting about highly questionable. This is interesting about highly questionable. I watched that show here and there. I thought the the one thing that I really liked about was the dynamic between Dan Lemitard and his father. His father was an, uh, an immigrant mm-hmm. from Cuba, and it worked. It was very charming. He looked like a very, very interesting individual. He was very funny. That show was never going to last without Dan Lebitard, much the way First Take has really become Stephen A. Smith's show. And that, that's the uh, bottom line. But I wasn't a fan of that show because I thought at its peak, whatever it was, uh, it, it was like Willy Woka and the SJW Factory. Uh, it just, just didn't jive to me. But obviously there was a connection with the audience. I mean, look, Jay, you know this. In the entertainment and television business, anytime a franchise can last for 10 years the way it did, it's a success, whether I like it or not. But as soon as Levertard left, you kind of understood at that point they were on the clock. Let me ask you this. Did you like the show Hmm. when it was Dan and his father? I'm going to go first. And and, and, and this is no hate. This is just me personally. I thought it was a trash show from start to finish. And that, that's not me hating on Dan. That, it's, it's really not. It just, and because and, trust me, I know Dan's father. I know his mother. L- lovely people. Like them a lot. But the show never made any sense to me. There was never, and, and it struggled out the gate. Then they added Bomani and started appealing to a really hardcore rap crowd. And they used to bring on all these rappers and get rappers to say dumb stuff. And that's how it went viral. But if you were looking for any type of insight into the sports world, that wasn't the show to get it. Uh, you know, it, I'm telling you, it went several years where the, the bread and butter of the show was the rappers that would come on and say really stupid or inappropriate or, you know, it it was a show that just appealed to AKA black Twitter or Twitter in general, but there was no meat or substance to the show. And, and there was just, and it was so, uh, somebody spent a lot of money or spent a lot of time making sure the blogosphere covered the show as if it was the funniest thing in the world. And so every time Poppy started laughing and, and I'd be sitting there like, well, where's the punchline? Where's the joke? <laughs> everybody's laughing incredibly hard. And then the next thing I'd see on Awful Announcing or somewhere, oh, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen on, on, on TV. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I can't find. Th-. So it'll sound like I'm taking a dump and I'm Fred, Eric Ridehom and those guys like them. But I, I never understood Highly Questionable uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things I can't understand that I can understand, even though they're not intended for me. So now your take on, you know, you, you thought it was a good show at one point? No, I never watched it that much. I watched it <coughs> here and there. 
I'll be 100% honest with you. A lot of ESPN programming I cannot watch. And there's always been this issue of what do you pair or bookend with PTI? They've tried different shows. None of them have really succeeded. The problem I had with Highly Questionable in the time that I saw it, it was almost like this whole little clubhouse full of inside jokes. And you talked about this last week with me, Jason. Everyone would do this automatic personal laugh track where everyone would laugh at each other's jokes. And you're right. As an audience, you're kind of looking around going, okay, what's funny about this outside of you guys are having a great time with one another, which is fine, but there's tens of millions of Americans that, that would like to be in on the joke. But this is the secret, a good joke. The secret is it actually has to be funny. And also with the father, as much as I liked him as a personality, a situation like that, sometimes less is more. I think he should have been used as kind of like a, for a segment or two, but he was there the whole time. And that, that over time can wear out its welcome. But that show generally was about Dan Lebertard and his best friends at ESPN. He was the nucleus that everyone kind of circled around. Once he was gone, like I said, that show was not going to be there much longer. Mm. And so I'll end on this note about that topic. That's the I, I can't just as a personality quirk in me. I can't stand butt kissing. And even when it's my butt being kissed. I just don't have time for it. I don't have a tolerance for it. Mm. And that is what you just said. That show was people circling around Dan kissing his butt. And some people like to have people circling around them kissing their butt. It, it feeds their ego. It's good for them. I, I'm just, I'm not one of those people. And that's one of the, you know, again, a lot of times, and, and Dan's radio show, uh, for a time in Miami, I thought was tremendous. I think once too many of the butt kissers were added and given license to talk on the show, and it just comes into, you know, everybody come, and then you'd see all these blog posts written about, you know, writing about uh, Dan as if he were Jesus and all, every, every thought he had was selfless. And it was all about all these other people on the show and the cast and, oh, my, Dan would never do anything for the, and then all the little publicity stunts where I don't want any publicity, but I just happen to be involved in all these publicity stunts with Deadspin and everybody else. All the whole thing just came off as phony and fake. Uh, and, and I know some people will be like, wow, I can win like saying that. He, he mad. No, I'm not. Because... I'm the same guy a few weeks ago that told you Dan Levitar is one of the greatest sports writers of all time, had a great influence on me, and terrific journalist. Uh, but on television, I felt like he was lazy. Uh, and so that's – let me ask you about your other area of expertise, Steve, college football. Uh, I know you watched a bunch of it. Yeah. What should we make of Oregon's upset of Ohio State? Is, is Oregon now a national title threat? Yes, and one thing that I noticed about Oregon, they have remade their program from Chip Kelly to Mark Elfrich to Mario Cristobal, that they are a power football team. They are not that team a decade ago that was running all that up-tempo with Michael James and trying to finesse people. They actually line up and hit you. And Mario Cristobal, I got this. I'm a Miami Hurricane fan. I said to myself, oh, my God. Uh, we had two sons of Miami that were Cuban, uh, Manny Diaz and Mario Cristobal, that we could have had as our next coach. And to use a godfather analogy, we picked Fredo instead of Sonny. Um, Mario Cristobal, to me, is an excellent coach because his teams play really hard. 
and they are physical and rough. And the most impressive thing about going into the horseshoe and essentially containing a great Ohio State offense that has first-rounders at both wide receiver spots, a great freshman running back, and a Ryan Day system, is that he didn't have his two best players in the front seven, and they found a way to win. And another thing, Jay, is the Pac-12 with UCLA, because I also think they're very real, speaking of Chip Kelly. They are physical up front. They have a dynamic duo at running back. The Pac-12, this is one of the early stories, they're actually pretty good in 2021. You're buying... You're buying UCLA. You, you believe what, what we've seen from them early is legitimate. Yes, because Zach Charbonnet and Britton Brown as a one-two punch in Westwood. And I watched that game with LSU again recently. They lined up against an SS, uh, SEC front seven. And look, there's a difference between being gimmicky and exotic. Gimmicky means you're tricking somebody and that'll run out. Being exotic means you're scheming people and putting your players in the best position to play. They were knocking LSU off the ball. And Charbonnet, if he gets enough carries, he's going to be in that Heisman discussion, the Michigan transfer. He runs hard. He's got great vision. And they have just a good enough quarterback in Dorian Thompson-Robinson that every once in a while they're going to throw over your head. So I think Chip Kelly in his fourth year has this program going in the right direction. Clay Helton, USC. Is he dead man walking after getting embarrassed by Stanford? Uh, Let's just put it this way. His butt should be on the George Foreman grill. It is with the fans out here in L.A. He's taking a lot of heat from the media and the fans. But here's an issue, though, Jay. Uh, They have a school president now. I think her name is Carol Fult. She does not seem to care about football. And the more I learn about college football is that that your school president, all the way up top, those academians, don't actually care about the athletic department and the football team. You'll have no shot because there's going to be no standards or lower standards. They're not going to put money into the program. They're not going to fundraise the way you need to. So SC has a problem here. Uh, A couple years ago, I thought they should have made a run at Urban Meyer. But because of the political and social climate and her own views, Meyer, with the situation that he had with that assistant coach at Ohio State, I thought became very toxic. Urban Meyer at SC would win 12 games a year automatically. Clay Helton, to me, is a mid-level coach. And right now, there is really a lot of disdain in Trojan Nation as it relates to Clay Helton. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you have? Did I leave anything off that I should have asked you about college football? Yeah, one, one thing here. And this is a story that should be talked about more in a positive spin. And people are trying to spin it a certain way, Jason. Me and you are big college football guys. You actually played it. I've watched it all my life. I love the crowds. The crowds are back from coast to coast. Most people aren't wearing masks. It's a slice of Americana that should be talked about like, wow, isn't this great that people are back enjoying themselves with their friends and loved ones and screaming their heads off? In fact, there was a great situation at the Hard Rock Stadium. This cat was hanging off the ledge because I guess he had enough of watching this Manny Diaz coach Miami team. It was going to fall to its death. (laughs) But all of a sudden, the Miami fans ended up catching him. Last year without a crowd, that feline would have had eight lives left. And I thought it was a great scene, and it went viral. Uh, We're looking at it right now. Garfield got saved. I don't know if they're saving Miami football right now under Manny Diaz. But I look at these crowds, and I go all the way back to the Minnesota-Ohio State game, which was the first Thursday of college football, how enthusiastic and how much fun people are having, and yet there are still people painting this a negative way. Well, Well, my view is this. If you are going to paint this as some sort of quote-unquote super spreader events. There were a lot of gatherings last year um, that you were framing in a different context. And my question is, why? 
Steve, good yes. stuff as always. Always. Thanks, Thanks uh, guys. You got, any, you got any more insensitive Gangnam Style jokes, Jimmy, before, you know, before you get us? No, man this, dude, man, this dude came out trying to correct me on the National Negro Anthem. What? Come on, man. That doesn't mean. That, that would be like me trying to give you some pointers on how to work a Stairmaster. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, have you ever heard about turning the other cheek? Yes, I have. And that's how you end up getting sodomized. <laughs> I worked in a jail. I don't know what the hell wrong with you. YouTube.com <clears throat> slash Jason Whitlock. Uh, we're going to roll out to Chicago and bring in Greg Couch. X. All right, welcome back. Time to roll out and connect with Greg Couch out in Chicago. Uncle Jimmy, did you uh, see the game that uh, Aaron Rodgers had? Yes, I did. Against Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints. It wasn't pretty. And I don't know which one made me feel worse. Watching Aaron Rodgers play like that or watching Jameis Winston play like that. I don't know which one hurt me the worst. <laughs> You're not a Winston fan? You don't root for Jameis? You don't I don't like Winston's, Newport's, or Marlboro's. <laughs> <laughs> and damn sure don't like Bakerfield's. <laughs> Bakerfield's got, a, got shown up at the end. All right, Greg, uh, you know, Working in the Windy City, follows the Packers closely, and has written this summer about Aaron Rodgers and his off-season dispute with Packers management. And uh, Aaron Rodgers has egg on his face after that off-season he had where he was allegedly threatening to quit or wanted to be traded. And he's, he was probably, is it too strong to say? Maybe Trevor Lawrence gave him a ran for the money, but was he the worst quarterback on Sunday in the NFL? No. Ryan Tannehill was. You're right about that. <laughs> Tannehill was bad. I don't know. Yeah, Tannehill had Julio Jones, too. Anyway, uh, how bad was Aaron Rodgers, Greg? I mean, maybe he should have quit. I mean, I think it looked like he did quit. I mean, Damn. He, we saw him in 2014 with the whole R-E-L-A-X thing to his fans. You know, hey, we're one and two. We lost to Detroit. Don't worry yet. We'll be fine. And now it's, well, hopefully we're going to get better. Hopefully this was just an outlier. Hopefully this, you know, it's a different animal. He's selling hope instead of selling his confidence that they're going to, you know, they're going to come around and play well. I think that he sort of sold out his own team's hope. You know, he, he told during the year, during this off season, he kept talking about quitting and the team's not good enough and they're not respecting him. And I think the team believed him that the team isn't good enough. And, and then when he's talking about quitting, the team's hearing all this. Uh, they're hearing their leader say that they're not good enough. They're hearing their leader talk about quitting, and he's not talking to them. I think he kind of sold them out, and I sort of think he almost did sort of quit. I mean, when he shows up at the game making mistakes he's never made before, it looked like he wasn't even trying. That one interception he threw where he, he thought the safety was going with the receiver this way, but it was really going he was really going that way, so he threw it anyway. He never would have made that mistake in the past. He wouldn't have made that mistake if he were prepared, if he were into it, if he cared. And so I think it's hard. You know, you've seen teams sometimes sort of stop trying and then try to turn it back on when there's a blowout going on and you can't do that. 
I kind of think that's what happened. I think he sort of shut it down, and now he shows up at this game, and he's trying to turn it back on, and it, he just wasn't into it, and he couldn't do it. And they've got a real problem if they can't get this started started up before the season gets going deeper into the season here. I, I, I think you make an interesting point, and, and I'm going to relate it to attitude. Like football, to me, and quarterback in particular, is the hardest thing to do in all of team sports, in my opinion. Play quarterback at the National Football League. There's a lot of pressure. There's a huge burden on you. And, and football, just in general, remove quarterback from it, just football in general, if your attitude is entitlement that, hey, I'm owed something, and, and this team hasn't done X, Y, and Z for me, even though I'm making $33 million a year, that's the wrong attitude to play that position and be a force, a force of nature. And, and, and that's what Aaron Rodgers has been throughout the entirety of his starting career, which I believe started in maybe 2008. He's been one of these great forces that inspires belief and there's no obstacle he can't overcome. And now he just spent the entire offseason basically saying, these guys owe me something. They owe me more power and control. Uh, I haven't been treated right here. You bring that aura of entitlement to a football team from the quarterback position, and it, sub it submarines your ability to play at your highest level and to get other guys to elevate to your level. And that's what, I, that's what I think that Aaron Rodgers hasn't quite figured out is he's operating from a position and an attitude of entitlement. And, and that does, that has infected perhaps the rest of the team. Because we've just never seen uh, Aaron Rodgers play as poorly as he did on Sunday. Greg, what, what do you think about my argument that it's his attitude and an attitude of entitlement that perhaps is most undermining him and the Packers? I, I think that's right. And I think he he's shown that attitude during the whole offseason with his, you know, all of his going to Hawaii and his being on the Kentucky Derby, get the Kentucky Derby and, you know, all his little show show and tell things he's done. This, look, look at me, look at me. I can live without you. It was like he was like he got a divorce from the Packers and showed that I'm, I'm look a great time I'm having anyway, posting photos of himself on IG or something. So he showed that sort of entitlement and and he reinforced it. You know, he reinforced it in this game. The team needs to follow him as the leader. And he came in and had a bad game and he reinforced everything that he'd sort of, you know, well, I don't want to say the wrong word, but crapped on the team for during the offseason. He reinforced that and the team kind of quit and he kind of quit. I'm not sure it's going to be that easy for them to just turn it back on. I mean, luckily for them, they've got the Bears on the schedule twice and the Bears are always a whipping boy for them. So, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have a couple of wins there for sure, but they're going to have to do this pretty quickly. For, for them to have that kind of performance at a neutral site. This, this wasn't at the Superdome with the crowd going crazy for, for the Saints. This was down in Jacksonville. The, the state had a decent crowd, but the stands weren't filled. I, I, I'm just, and, and look, New Orleans has a good defense, but I don't, they just took the cape off Superman and that's who Aaron Rodgers has been. 
I haven't, Jimmy, you kind of giggling and laughing, or, or you got a smile on your face. What do you got? Y'all need to just R-E-L-A-X. <laughs> Relax. He's going to be just fine. He, 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 he ran into a little buzzsaw. It's just one game. He's going to be all right. Why is it? But, that's funny to hear you say he should relax, but that ain't what he's saying. He's basically saying H-O-P-E. <laughs> Hopefully, things will get better. He's a realist. This Go wasn't ahead. just a bad game. This was a historical bad game for him, right? This is the worst blowout they've ever had since Rodgers has been the quarterback. It's, I think it was his third worst passer rating since he's ever been there. And if, if he had actually taken the ball and spiked it on every play, his passer rating would have been higher than it actually was with two interceptions. It, it was not just a bad game. It was a disinterested game. It was my mind's not into this game. I don't, you know, does he look like a guy who's got the fire and the passion? I mean, you're right. It's one game. There's 16 games to go. But, you know, each game counts, you know, two or three more games like this, and the Packers will be in deep trouble already. Hold on. Now, I, I have to disagree with Greg on something. Uh, did, Greg, did you see Aaron Rodgers in the State Farm commercial? Yeah, he, 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 that was a darn good commercial. <laughs> okay, now he seemed like he had some intensity when he did that commercial. <laughs> That's on the a problem. serious note, on a Jim, on a on a serious note, and and Greg, I'll lob this back to you, but just compare his attitude to Tom Brady's attitude. Right. Tom Brady, at age 44, still seems to be approaching every football game, every football practice, like it's the greatest gift that he's been granted. He values every moment of it. He's enjoying every moment of it. And it's just like an honor. And, and I'll even go back to Tom Brady's salary, a two-year, $50 million deal. Tom Brady's entire mentality, and it's why he's – coming off like the Benjamin Button of football is because his attitude is in such perfect alignment with success. And it's not, and here's Aaron Rodgers with more talent, but he's not having near. And now that Brady's had it with two different coaches and two different organizations, to me, it just makes me look over at Aaron Rodgers and say, well, you could have earlier said Brady's success was because of Bill Belichick. Well, Brady just went and got another Super Bowl with Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So he's got as many Super Bowl victories with Tampa mm. as Aaron Rodgers has with his entire career in Green Bay. The more this plays out, the distance between Brady, and it was already a mammoth distance, but I just think uh, Aaron Rodgers to me, when I, he's putting himself in a position, because I think people thought they were going to take it for granted. Oh, he's better than Brett Favre. Not now. I, I don't know if he, if he soured or flames out of uh, Green Bay and goes someplace else. He, he's not better than, he's the third greatest quarterback in Packers history after Bart Starr and Brett Favre. Am I wrong there, Greg? Well, I think Rodgers turns out it's looking like he's a poor man's Tom Brady, okay? Look what Brady actually did. He left New England. 
He built his own team. He brought his own players with him, and and that's what he did. He went out and bootstrapped his way into another Super Bowl. He bootstrapped his way into to making himself, you know, get another Super Bowl. That's what it meant to him. What Rodgers did is he went and whined and cried off on the side. Well, why isn't the team treating me right? You know, I don't like the general manager. I'm just going to quit. I'm not coming back. He held his breath. He stomped his feet. It's just it's it's an ugly look. And one guy's a champion, and the other guy's you know won one Super Bowl. So I, I think Brady showed what Rodgers should try to be, but Rodgers just doesn't know how to follow the example. Like you said, he's entitled. He wanted things come to come to him, whereas Brady took the took the reins and, and built the team himself. You got anything else, Jim? We're getting out of here. We done? Aaron Rodgers has not had the parts around him that Tom Brady has been allotted. Take Aaron Rodgers, put him down there in New Orleans and watch what he do. Put him in New Orleans? Put him down there in New Orleans. got Jameis Winston in New Orleans who threw five touchdown passes on like six passes yesterday. Next week he'll throw five (laughs) interceptions. (laughs) Not sure if I believe that. All right, thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Jim, you got a Bible story? Man, I got a Bible story for you. (laughs) And we got an approval rating on... Aaron Rodgers, all that more. Bible story. Man, do I need it. I need a Bible story. I'm serious. I need to be reinvigorated. You know what I did, Jim? I didn't mention this. Uh, you know, I, I don't drink often. I'm probably someone that drinks alcohol once. Uh, I think I saw something on Twitter that said, let me get off of Twitter right now if I say something I ain't supposed to. Yeah, I was intermittent drinking over the weekend. I, I, I'm probably someone that drinks alcohol once every six weeks or so. Jim, I drank alcohol on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's, I don't know if I've done that since college. And so I need a Bible. And not that anything was going on that made me drink other than I was socializing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, and, and I don't know. They, so you let the fact of you were out with others, you let that allow you to sin even more? I don't think it's wrong or sinful to have a casual sip of alcohol, but I, I will just, having drank three days in a row. Did you become drunkard? Uh, on, Did you drink of the sour grapes? On Saturday, I was a little, uh, the intermittent drinking got the go. best of me. Come on, let's get and I needed it because Ball State got <laughs> slacked by Penn State, and I needed the alcohol just to make me feel better. But anyway, uh, I'm now back. <laughs> Another six weeks before I drink again. Anyway, so I need a Bible story, man. Go ahead. Excuse Lift me. me up. What you got? <laughs> Who the hell I look like? One of the damn. <laughs> one of the. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I lift you up. Anyway, listen, I'm going to tell you the story about Abraham and the baby mama drama. Abraham had and, baby mama drama. And his baby mama drama. Well, I, you know, this is an area where you have some expertise. Well, so listen, ahead. and it ain't even funny. 
it, look, that ain't even funny because as I started looking at the story, yeah. it did start to have some little close to home, but I, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Listen to me, man. Quit messing with my story. Go ahead, man. Abraham was married to Sarah. Sarah, huh? Okay. They had a baby named Isaac. Okay. Now, this wasn't no big deal except for the fact that Abraham was 100 years old. Woo, he, he robbed the cradle is what you said. Oh, no, 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 he didn't rob the cradle. See, this, this is what I mean very seriously about I had to look this story up because yeah. that was the joke I was going to crack. Yeah. But come to find out, going back and listening Sarah to this was story, talking about Sarah, wait a minute, Sarah was bad. Yeah. Sarah was a Pam Greer, a Lola Falana. I thought you were going to say a Lily, but go I'm sorry. <laughs> Sonia Curry. <laughs> oh, sorry, go ahead. Meaning, if you looked at her, you wouldn't have known that she was 90. Really? Real talk. This is what they said. They said back in the day, you know, Sarah don't crack. Black <laughs> Sarah didn't crack back in the day. So I, anyway, I'm sorry. Look, I just want to tell you that that right there, now just that little setup right there, that's where the baby mama drama begins. Because, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, she's 90, but had a baby? I mean, what? <laughs> this is what I'm trying to tell you. Here you go. Now, see, this is where the problem come in at. Yeah. Now, then you need to listen to me because this gets good. Yeah. A few years earlier, okay, she ordered her housemate to sleep with her husband, Abraham. Now, it's unclear if she said, go and have some fun, or if she said, go and have a son. <laughs> but nonetheless, this housemaid was named Hagar. Hagar. Her, her name was Hagar, and her and Abraham had a baby by the name of Ishmael. Mm, the baby Ishmael. By okay. Now, Abraham's cool. He's handling all of this is good. He's handling everything with the baby mamas until one day Isaac got a birthday party. Isaac or Ishmael? Isaac. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go the, ahead. The, the youngest one has a birthday party. Yep. Okay. And it was at the birthday party that instead of Sarah handling her business, she up here meddling with the kids looking at what they doing. And Sarah overheard Ishmael picking on his little brother. Mm. Giving him, you know, giving him a hard time, you know, because that's what big brothers do. You know, that, that's just what they do. I've and, done that. And, 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 I was a little brother. I've done that. But it, yeah, I, I can see how that happens. Now, see, remember I told you that Sarah had her housemate go sleep with her husband. Well, right. Well, now, since this little problem done broke out. Now, Sarah tells Abraham, you need to go talk to your little slave woman. And, and then she used that phrase, slave woman. And I thought that was kind of a strong phrase. And I looked in another Bible, and that Bible referred to her as a bond woman. Okay, so I asked Chris about it. Chris said that in his religion, they were called handmaids. Now, I'm here to tell you, Jason, if I would have found that religion when I was a kid, my arthritis wouldn't be as bad as it is right now. You know what they called these women? I don't know if you remember Ruth. 
But they called them belly warmers. <laughs> That's what they called them. That's what they called them. So now, yeah. this is what I'm telling you. Abraham done found it. Abraham done got caught up. Yep. You see what I mean? He done got caught up in this drama, and all he's trying to do is good. So now he got to go talk to the big guy. He got to go talk to the big guy in the sky because he's like, hey, man, I got problems here. I, I, I need to know what to do. And God just told him straight out. He said, man, you got to kick that chick out your house. Straight out. Because he said, we got business that we got to handle. We, 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 we got a country. We got a people that we got to go and Raise set free. Mm. Yeah, we, we got peoples we got to do. But, you know, he said, he told Abraham, he said, listen, my prophecy is going to be fulfilled through Isaac. I done already told y'all. This is why I gave y'all this baby. This is why I let your wife carry this baby at 90 years old. Because this is what we're going to do. He said, now I know what you're worried about. You're worried about your firstborn. He said, I need you to know I'm going to take care of your firstborn. He said, I'm going to take care of him and his mother. He said, as a matter of fact, she will be the mother of nations. You see what I'm saying? So he said, look it, just go at that moment, Abraham knew what it was that God set forth and told him that he had to do. And it was at that moment that he realized he went back home and he, you know what the moral of the story is, Jason? What? The moral of the story is sometimes you have to kick your woman out the house in order to make your wife happy. <laughs> How about not having another woman in your house and making her happy that way? Uh, that man was doing what his wife told him to do. Okay, now let's not get this complicated. That was his wife's maid that she told to go in there. That man done what he's supposed to do. And therefore, that caused the problem in his home. So the moral of the story is sometimes you got to kick your extra woman out of the house. Sometimes you got to kick your woman out the house in order to make your wife happy. It's real simple, man. It's not that hard. I don't know if that's the moral to the story or your fantasy to the story. I didn't write it. Don't get mad at me. Go talk to the author. What is this is in the book of Abraham? No, this is in the book of uh, what did I say that was in the book? Genesis. Genesis. Was it in Genesis, Chris? Yeah, it's in Genesis 20. I'm going to go double check this. We may have to. You know what? We're going to have our Bible fact checkers. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> I can't make this up, man. Let's, let's do our approval rating on uh, Aaron Rodgers and get out of here so I can get the fact checkers working on your Bible story. See <laughs> uh, <laughs> how many Pinocchios you get uh, for that. Aaron Rodgers' uh, job performance, Jim. I'm all the way down to a two. And previously I had him at a 24 in job performance. I'm down to a two. I told you with Greg yesterday, I love that commercial that he did where he looked like the little rocker. I gave him a 10. In job performance. Oh, in job performance. Yeah. He damn sure don't get no points for that performance he put on the field. Right. Character, I'm down to a 10 where I previously had been a 15. He played the hell out of that character with that State Farm commercial. <laughs> 
I, so, he, he did a great job. Speaking of state, have you seen the one where Patrick Mahomes looks like a little nerd buying sneakers, a little sneaker nerd or whatever? Yes, I do. And let me tell you something, man. I'm going to have to be honest with you because at some point or another, we're going to have to address this. I got a little problem with Jake from State Farm. <laughs> just always popping up and he just always talking like this. I got a problem with Jake. Go ahead. <laughs> authenticity. Uh, I've actually gone up on authenticity uh, all the way to a 23. He, he doesn't like the Packers and he's not playing like he likes the Packers. So, so for that, I give him a 25. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it factor, you know, he's got the hair going. The women love him. Uh, he's more concerned about that than anything else, so I give him a 24 in it factor for a total of 59. I'm going to give him a 15 just just because of all of those things you see it for a total of 75. You got this man at a, at a grease fire still. I got him can't. How you going? You had him at a grease fire and you still got him at a grease fire after that terrible performance. I'm down on him. He's close to a dumpster fire. If he does it again next week, he'll be a dumpster fire. Hey, man, if he play like that again, Jordan going to get some love. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, all right, we got to get out of here. Uh, can we hear from tomorrow? You know, I was talking about tomorrow. Uh, hey, man, what I wouldn't pay right now to see tomorrow come up out of nowhere serving some truffle chicken. <laughs> right. Lord have mercy. That's a sight right there. That's it, and that's all. We'll see you tomorrow. Freedom came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want freedom.